Let's grab our Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter number 3. Sorry, 1 Samuel chapter number 3. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. On your way out, Pastor Justin will have a table available in the lobby. You'll see there uh, uh, budgets are available for the members of our church. We'd like to pick one of those up before next week. We also have um, the weekly giving envelopes for those of you guys who prefer to use those. Um, If you have no idea what it is, if you have a question, feel free to ask Pastor Justin about that. Uh, They're anonymous, signed, kind of assigns you a number for the the financial uh, side of it, but gives you a little date and reminder for each week. So if you want to pick one of those up, uh, Pastor Justin will have those available for you in the lobby, okay? 1 Samuel chapter number three is where we'll jump into the word this morning. And the bad news for you is that if there isn't a second service, I don't have to get out at any given time. So... uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. We'll get you out of here in a decent time, I promise. But first thing, chapter three, I know as we're watching the snow fall outside, we're trying to think through getting home, but I promise we'll get you out of here and get us safely back to our homes. First Samuel chapter three, we are in week three of a series looking at the life of Samuel. We've called it Backbone, looking at uh, kind of contrasting the lives of conviction versus living a life of compromise. We've seen that really clearly played out in the first two weeks, haven't we? We've seen the life of Elkanah and Hannah and the the prayers they had for their children and this home of conviction that brought forth Samuel. And then we saw Eli's house last week. And what a mess that was, right? His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, priests in the tabernacle while greedily bringing things for themselves, uh, abusing those that were there, obvious abuses of leadership, uh, spiritual abuse taking place through this family. And we saw the damaging effects of what compromise can bring and the lies that we believe when we're choosing to compromise in those ways. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, might be the most famous passage regarding Samuel, outside of maybe the uh, anointing of David. But 1 Samuel chapter 3, we have the boy Samuel living there uh, and ministering with Eli, the high priest. They're ministering in Shiloh. He's really instrumental in helping around the tabernacle. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're starting verse number 1, and we'll pick up there looking at the call of Samuel upon his life. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We'll read the first few verses here, okay? First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And the child, Samuel, probably about 12 years old at this point, ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, precious, we think of in a positive way, right? Precious, sweet. Think precious in regards to uh, rare, okay? Or like a precious jewel. That's, that's the wording of that word, precious, okay? So, the word of the Lord, it's not that they really esteemed the word of the Lord. That means the word of the Lord was very rarely spoken, okay? So the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. He's getting older. He's not able to see as clearly. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel also was laid down to sleep. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou called me. And he said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Verse 6. The Lord called yet again to Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the child. 
Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went, laid down in his place, and the Lord came, amazing verse, verse 10, the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth you. Really important biblical principle for us to start with this morning in times of compromise, in times where the word of the Lord is rare and the vision of the Lord is not present, God will always have a remnant of his people. There will always be a remnant of God's people. It doesn't matter how dark things get. It doesn't matter how bad things become. It doesn't matter how much culture rejects the truth of God and the word of God. God is in control. God is sovereign. And God will always have a remnant of his people. It's always been this way from the very beginning of time until today. And we can take a lot of encouragement in that this morning, that even though we live in a world that is filled with compromise, we live in a world that is filled with the rejection of the truth of God, God is still actively today in 2024 calling forward people to be filled with great conviction, calling forward people to be filled with, with conviction and strength and backbone. That's what we're seeing in our study. That's what we're seeing uh, especially in our text this morning. We've seen last week there's such widespread compromise. The, the people have rejected God. They've left his ways. They've kind of engrossed themselves in sin and in selfishness. But God is still calling people. God is going to call Samuel in our text to live with conviction and backbone and resiliency in a world that is filled with compromise. I think it's important for us because that's the world we're in right now. That's the situation that we find ourselves in this morning where we look around us and we don't see the word of the Lord proclaimed freely in every place, right? We don't see uh, the vision of the Lord, the direction of the Lord being clearly seen by most people in our culture. There's compromise all around us. But understand this morning, God will still call men and women and children to be his people, called to live with backbone and conviction in a world that is full of compromise. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important for us to understand because, first of all, going the path of compromise is really easy, okay? Following the, the easiest direction, following the, uh, the direction of the river, so to speak, of just kind of going with the current is really easy. Conviction comes with a cost. Compromise, well, everybody's doing it, right? It's simple. I'm just going to follow the path. The road's wide. What does the Bible say? The road's wide and easy that leads to destruction. The road that leads to everlasting life is, is narrow and difficult. Compromise is easy. Conviction will cost. It's been that way around the world for a lot of years. You, you, you hear missionaries come through or you read about the cost that it, that it costs Christians to live with that kind of conviction and backbone around the world. And it's, it's been that way for uh, centuries. It's starting to become that way more and more where we live, where living with that kind of biblical conviction is going to cost you some things. Nowhere maybe near to the extent of in other places, but we have to ask ourselves, and maybe you are asking yourself this morning, am I really up for that? Right? Do I really want the cost that comes with living a life that is pleasing to the Lord? Do I really want the, the cost of rejection, the cost of maybe a lack of acceptance or applause or promotion? Am I really up for that? My hope this morning is that we'll stand up and respond that yes, we are. That we see the realities, we see the costs, we see the end destinations of a life of conviction and the end destinations of a life of compromise. 
And we respond, yes, Lord, like Samuel did. Here am I, Lord, your servant's listening. That will respond in the same way, okay? So here's our guiding question, and I'm, I'm going to speed up, okay? Here's our guiding question as we kind of work our way through the text this morning. Let's try to answer this. How can we position ourselves to hear this call, to recognize the call, and to respond to the call to live lives of conviction? So how can I position myself to hear the call, recognize the call, and respond to the call to live a life of conviction? Number one, let's look first at the context of this call, okay? The context of this call. Let's look back at verse number one. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious or rare in those days, and there was no open vision. So two things really obviously happening in verse number one in the culture and the context of where Samuel is living. The word of the Lord was rare, and there was an absence of spiritual direction. There's an absence of spiritual vision. That is the context from which Samuel's calling is made. The nation of Israel is filled with sin and disobedience and rampant and open selfishness and rejection of God. And understand this, when people reject the truth of God, what happens? Well, his word becomes rare. The word of God becomes precious, not in a good way, right? It becomes rare. It's not spoken openly. His direction becomes infrequent. We have to understand as, as people who are wanting to be wise this morning in the things of the Lord, that if we choose to reject God and we choose to resist God or ignore God, we will no longer be hearing from God in the same ways we were when we were open to hearing from him. If you live a life that is resisting and rejecting and ignoring the truth of, truths of the word of God, you're no longer going to be hearing in the same ways. We see that with Eli. We see that with, with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. There is no open vision. There is no direction in their lives because they're choosing to give themselves over to sinfulness, selfishness, and compromise. When we displace God as our authority, let me ask you this. When you displace God as your authority, what becomes your authority? All of us are going to answer that differently, but that is a question that I really would love for like humanity in general to answer. Say, okay, if God's not in charge of your life, who is? Right, If the word of the Lord is not what's calling the shots, what's calling the shots? Who says what's right and wrong? Now, our humanity usually becomes that God. We reject God as our authority. Most of us place ourselves in that position of authority. That's what humanity has done both in Samuel's day and in our day. We replace God as the one who calls the shots. We replace the word of God as the source of right and wrong and that which is good and evil. And we place ourselves in that position. And we're kind of left now to our own devices. We're left to our own wisdom. God help us, right? We're left to our own insights. We're left to our own limited strength. Now, the disaster, what takes place when humans take the place of God is what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. The destruction that occurs in spiritual environments, the, the collapse of, of, of social setups and cultures, the disaster of humans assuming the responsibilities of God. It's happened a lot of times in our history. It happens even now in our own spiritual climate as well. What happens when humans replace God? We see spiritual anarchy. We see rebellion. And we kind of result in societal chaos, 
right? We, there, there's just spiritual. Whatever you believe is what you believe. Whatever I believe is what I believe. It's just completely open to an individual's perspective that results in rebellion against any sense of a structure of authority. You, you connect throughout history when the rejection of God is authority. You'll find shortly thereafter rejection of all other sources of authority. Just a complete sense of rebellion and chaos ensues. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Turn on the news. That's exactly what's happening, right? Spiritual anarchy. We do whatever we want to do, and each of us are completely open to, you know, whatever God we want to please. That results in rebellion against all forms of authority that exist, both spiritual and non-spiritual. And what happens is the culture as a whole just plunges into kind of societal chaos, where it's a mess. And I think that's the one word I would describe all of, no matter what news network you turn on, mess, right? It's just, it's just chaos. And why is that? Because the word of the Lord is rare. Because the word of the Lord is being rejected. His word has been trashed, and we're left with us. Us. And if it's just us, we're in trouble, okay? If it's just us, we're in trouble. Because humans at our core, what are we? We are lust-filled, we are sinful, we are selfish. If it's just us, we're in trouble. To reject God's word, to silence his voice, is to allow sinful hearts like yours and mine to take control. So we have a choice. Do I want the holy and perfect creator God to be calling the shots, or do I want my sinful heart to be calling the shots? Who's going to be the source of authority in our lives? And what you find is when sinful hearts get authority, those sinful hearts will defy anyone who gets in the way of them getting what they want, of their own sinful lust, their own sinful desires. That's kind of scary stuff. That's the world in which we live in, church. But understand, even in worlds like that, where the word of the Lord is rare and where there is no open vision, even in worlds like that, God will always have his people. God is still actively calling men and women and boys and girls to live with conviction even in times of compromise. The world in which we live in today, the Bible starts to collect dust. Pulpits have become far more about uh, information and life helps than the word of God and sermons have become sermonettes if there is a sermon. The culture becomes the authority of what is right and what is wrong. And just in the room this morning, let's take a moment and ask every heart and mind of those that are watching online to ask this question. If the Bible is not my authority, what is? What is? Answer it honestly, okay? If the Bible is not my authority, what is? Because something or someone is that authority. And if it's not God, what is it for you? Where do you get your wisdom? Where do you get your perspective? Where do you get your direction? How do you know how to live? How do you know how to raise your family? How do you know how to treat your spouse? Who decides what's right and what's wrong? Who decides what happens after this life is over? Who gets to call those shots? Who is your authority? Scientists? Politicians? Help. Help us, right? Actors, celebrities. I don't know about you guys, but all those kind of fall short in my mind. I'm, I'm going to stick with the Lord, right? Like he's the one ultimately who should be calling the shots in our lives. And when the word of the Lord is rare, the Lord is set to the side, and our sinful hearts have been made the authority, politics start rejecting passion for Christ. Entertainment replaces the prophetic. Proverbs has a great comparison verse for us in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where it says, where there is no vision, that's talking about prophetic vision, understanding of the direction of the Lord, the people perish. Now, if you look up that word perish, 
there's actually another context for it. It's not just death. It's actually casting off of restraint. It's like a self-inflicted demise. So where there is no forward vision from the Lord, the people cast off restraint and authority and result in destruction, but he that keepeth the law is blessed, is happy. You can imagine our world without laws, we'd be in trouble, right? If everyone could do exactly what they wanted to do at any given moment, we'd be in trouble. We need it. Same way the writer of Proverbs says we need prophetic vision. We need the clarity of the word of God. It's so crucial to us today. Why? Because the word of God guides us, doesn't it? It protects us. It cleanses us. It renews us. It instructs us. It, First Timothy says, rebukes us and reproves us and teaches us. It's used by the spirit of God, Romans 12:1, to change us. That is the primacy for us as a church, the primacy of the word of God, the primacy of the preaching of the word of God. We have to know that the word of God is being spoken into the hearts and minds of God's people. This is the context in which Samuel is being called to live with conviction. This context of a world that is completely opposed to the truths of the word of God. But even in those kinds of cultures, God will always have his people. God will always be active. And again, the easy thing to do is capitulate and compromise and say, you know what, this sounds like far too much. This sounds like far too difficult. I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. And I'm just going to follow it on the path of the Hophni and Phineases. I'm going to follow it on the path of the culture. I'm going to follow it on the path of my social media influencers or whatever they want to say I should do. That's what I should do. The question we have today that Samuel answers for us is who's going to resist that capitulation? Who's going to resist that compromise and stand up with backbone and conviction? And say, I'm following the word of the Lord. I'm following the truth of what scripture tells us. Who is God calling today to live with backbone? Understanding the context of the world we're in. Understanding the risk and the cost to us for living with that kind of conviction. But also seeing clearly the vision of what God has for us. The hope and the reality of the life that is to come. And say, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to choose that which is eternal over temporal. I'm going to choose that which is permanent over that which is going to go away i'm going to choose to honor the lord over the temporary applause of people yeah we live in a time where the word of the lord is really rare and precious and we don't hear it spoken of often but that's not a time where we run away that's a time where we pray for increased vision and increased understanding that's a good prayer for us this week may the word of the lord be increased in our culture may the word of the lord not be so rare in the generations that are coming up after us May young men and women hear the call of the Lord to live with this kind of conviction. The context we live in should bring urgency, not fear. When I look around at the world and I see the demise of societal structures and I see the rejection of that which is right and wrong, I don't want to allow that to lead me to fear of living with conviction. I've got to know that that calls for a greater urgency to live with that kind of conviction, to live with that kind of strength. So the context of the call, look secondly at the hearing of the call. This is the majority of our story. Starting in verse number three, Samuel and Eli go to sleep, okay? The Lord calls in verse number four unto Samuel. I love he calls him by name, the intimate call of the Lord, the personal call of the Lord. This is a 12-year-old boy, okay? This is some big shot somewhere. The Lord is, is speaking to a 12-year-old Samuel. Sweet young man runs over to Eli. What'd you need, right? You, you called, what do you need? I didn't call you, wiping the sleep out of his eyes. I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Here's again, Samuel gets up, runs again to Eli. What do you need? You called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Man, thinks he's got sleepwalking or something, right? Third time, Samuel, 
Eli, what is the deal with this guy? Runs all the way to Eli. What do you need? He says, and finally it clicks for Eli. It takes him three times. Oh, maybe somebody is calling him, and it's just not me. And he tells him, go back. Verse number eight, Eli perceived the Lord had called the child. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he call thee, thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Samuel went and laid down in his place. Such a beautiful, intimate scene. Think about the amazingness of this for just a second. The Lord Almighty, the creator of the universe, is personally and intimately calling this young man, Samuel, by name. 12 years old, calling him by name. This is what the Lord does in every generation. The Lord personally and intimately calls men and women to himself. Just think for a moment about the survey of scriptures, okay? If you know your Bibles, you got Abraham, God calling by name to follow him. You've got Moses, you've got Samuel, you'll have David, you'll have Daniel, you'll have Peter, you'll have Paul. The Lord personally choosing and calling men and women to be used for his purposes. He did it then, and he's still doing it today. Continue to call men and women to be servants of him. I love Samuel's sweetness and sincerity here. Hears his name called, jolts out of sleep, assumes it's Eli, runs over. Here am I. Responsive. You can already kind of see the, the, temperate, uh, the, the, the temperament of the young man, right? What do you need, Eli? Right? He, he's responsive. He's aware. He's available. And these are kind of the character traits that the Lord continues to use in Samuel's life. Those are the kind of character traits you want to be developing in the lives that, that we influence, availability, readiness, responsiveness. What do you need, Eli? Why? Because that same spirit he brings towards Eli is the same spirit he's going to be bringing towards the Lord, right? Availability, readiness, responsiveness. Hear my Lord, right? Those are the character traits of Samuel. Three times, Samuel, what do you need, Eli? Samuel, what do you need, Eli? Samuel, what do you need? It's so awesome. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, calls his name twice, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant here. So I love this. The Lord came and stood. And Samuel receives a word from the Lord and a vision from the Lord. You remember verse one? The word of the Lord was rare and there was no vision coming from the Lord. Something changed. Verse number 10, what changed is a 12-year-old boy who's listening. 12-year-old boy who's available. Now the word of the Lord is speaking. Now he's going to be receiving a vision from the Lord. The Lord is moving. The Lord's calling. The Lord's at work. Notice the intimacy of our God, transcendent in glory and power and holiness and perfection. He stands and calls this boy by name, shows up in his room and calls him by name. Our prayers, Lord, would you continue to do that? Would you continue to call young men and women, old men and women? You don't get a pass either, okay? May he continue to call us to himself. Some of us maybe to, to serve the Lord in some specific way. Maybe he's calling you right now and he says, you know what? I want you to take this message of the truth and I want you to go somewhere where they haven't heard it before. And he's going to send you over oceans. He's going to send you to the, these missionaries we'll meet in these weeks to come. Right? He's going to send you to these people. Maybe it's a call like that. Maybe it's a call to live with conviction in your home. He says, you know, I, I, I as a dad, I've been kind of compromising, kind of going with the flow of wherever else is headed and I feel like God is speaking my name this morning saying, I want you to live with that kind of compromise and conviction. I want you to be a dad with some backbone. I don't know what he's calling you to. All I know is he's calling. He continues to call individual people, men and women, and he knows us. He's aware of us, and he calls us by name. 
so vast, so immense. We just sang about it, right? Behold our God seated on his throne, and yet he speaks this boy's name. So vast, so immense, so perfect, and yet so personal, so intimate, so loving. He comes and stands, Samuel, Samuel. You know, all of us in this room have a calling upon our lives to be about the things of God. All of us do. You might not have a call, like some people think of like a call to, to be a pastor or kind of a vocational call, and I'm going to go be a missionary or I'm going to work in this field or that. It might not be a vocational kind of call, but all of us have a calling upon our lives to be about the things of God, to be about the kingdom of God, to live our life with conviction based on the word of God. Personally, I remember the time when God began to kind of reach down into my life. I was a 16-year-old boy, had no desire within me, to be honest, to serve the Lord and do what I do right now. Um, I was making every plan in my mind to do other things, right? Um, but even kind of against my will, God putting something in my life of knowing this was what I was supposed to do. And you tell that to a 16, 17-year-old boy, guess what? As a 16, 17-year-old boy, I was not qualified to do what I am currently doing. But if you notice, neither was Samuel. God, God isn't looking for prior qualifications before his calling. And a lot of times in our lives, we start excusing ourselves from the call of God until we get qualified, right? Until, well, once I have this all figured out and once I, you know, really get my life together, that's when I'll surrender myself to the call of God. No, God interacts with us individually today when we're not ready. And through all the ups and downs in our lives and my story and wins and losses and laughs and tears, we're here because the Lord called us here. That, that, that's the call of the Lord upon our lives. And our prayers, God, would you continue to do that? I think it has to happen in every single generation. And that's a, a prayer upon even my own heart, that in the younger generation of our church, there'll be young boys and girls and men and women who are fully aware that God has a plan for them. And that has a plan for their lives that leads to conviction and standing and, and boldness in their lives and their families. My hope is that we as individual Christians can see the landscape of our world is, Understand point one, the context. Understand the mess of what we're engaged in. But also understand and have a vision of the glory of Jesus Christ and the, the burden of the lost in our world to be saved and the spiritual blind to see and the spiritually dead to be brought to life. And they respond to the call of Jesus, I'll do it. Right? Here am I. Like Samuel said, here am I. Whatever it takes. God, I want you to be glorified. Whatever passion and pursuit you want me to have, wherever you send me, whatever it means. Why? Because you've called me by name. You've called me by name. The Lord will always have his people in the midst of compromise, in the midst of a culture that is resistant. The Lord calls for conviction. And remember the story of Samuel. We're going to get there. This guy's life will change the direction of a nation. His spiritual backbone and conviction will set a new path for the nation of Israel based upon the calling that he receives here as a 12-year-old boy. And I, I think I'd be remiss not to address the reality of our own church, that there's a lot of 12-year-olds running around this place. Um, somebody said a couple of weeks ago, there's kids everywhere, and there is, right? On an average Sunday, I'm just afraid that some kid's just going to plow a little old lady, and it's going to be a bad thing, right? Uh, there's kids everywhere, right? And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. But my hope is that the young people of our church, in a world of compromise, would heed the call from the Lord, as he calls them by name, to live a different kind of life, to live a life of conviction, 
It's not a matter of if God's going to call. It's the matter of when. It's the matter of whom. I love Samuel's availability, Samuel's approachability. Young man, young woman, his mind's not dead in his phone. Okay? His life's not plagued with desires and lusts and pursuits. His mind isn't polluted by everybody's outside voices and opinion and what's going on on Instagram, okay? He is open and available and listening for the word of the Lord to speak to him. There was a really interesting, uh, I worked in youth ministry before I came here, and there was always kind of an interesting concept of when we take teenagers away from their stuff, okay? We would do retreats or we'd do summer camps and we'd take them from their stuff and we'd get them somewhere where they didn't have service. If they snuck in their phones, they didn't have service, right? And they'd just get them up in the woods somewhere, and we'd play games. We'd have, like, the most fun ever. But then we'd get someone up, and they would preach the Bible. And to be honest, it wasn't any better of a sermon than they heard the other 52 weeks of the year. But for some reason, getting their minds out of all of this stuff, God started speaking to their hearts. And it's amazing the percentage of young people who say, you know what, God's calling me to do this or to do that or to this or that. How often that happened when they were available, approachable, ready. My hope is even as adults, we can learn some lessons from that, okay? It's not always the, the, the quality of, of a sermon. It's not always the kind of worship music. It's not always the environment that I'm in. Sometimes it's me coming to the word and saying, you know what, speak to me, God. I want to hear something from you. I, I, here am I, Lord, like Samuel responded, available, ready, approachable. He's aware of the need. He's intimidated by the culture, I'm sure. Imagine being Samuel knowing he's going to get a word from the Lord in a second that, hey, the guy you work for, Eli, it's not going to go so well for him. Imagine hearing that as a 12-year-old. It's a lot to bear as a 12-year-old child, right? He's intimidated, fearful. How am I going to be the person who stands in the gap like he's calling me to be? And maybe there's some Samuels in the room this morning that are kind of like that, filled with all the reasons why it's not supposed to be me, right? I know you're calling dads to raise homes of conviction. You just don't know what kind of dad I am, right? Uh, I know that you're, Lord, you're calling people to live this kind of life, but that's for everybody else. One of my favorite quotes on this is Mark Batterson, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Some of them were looking for, hey, when I'm ready, that's when I'll do this. You will never be ready. There's a young guy in our church about to have his first kid. Text me last week. How do you know when you're ready? I just texted back, LOL, right? Like, <laughs> you're not. You're not. We, none of us are. And we never will be. And if you walked into that delivery room thinking you were ready, you found out quickly you were not, right? What is this? It's like World War II in here. Like, there's this, like, intense, right? Um, you're not ready. But God helps us, right? What does Paul say? It's in our weakness that his strength is shown. It's in our lack of strength that we see how strong he is. It's in our lack of knowledge we see how wise he is. Remember, we're not the ones calling the shots. Also, we want him to be calling the shots. You're not ready. You're not pre-wired to succeed. But if you're called, you're called. And if you're called, God will take care of the qualifications. Do you think Peter felt like he was qualified to be a disciple when he was throwing nets on the side of a boat? you think Paul thought he was qualified to be the apostle and church planner that he was when he was on a mission to kill Christians 10 minutes earlier. Matthew was a tax collector. No, they weren't qualified. But God called them, and then God did the qualifying. So today, I want to just encourage us to make room in our lives to hear the voice of God. You know what a good prayer for you to be every morning you wake up? Before you open the Bible, as you open the Bible, speak, Lord, I'm listening. 
I'm listening. You know how many times I've read my Bible and I haven't been listening? A lot. I'm checking the mark off my day or I'm getting through the busyness. No, God, I want you to speak to me. And if you speak to me, I want you to know I am listening. What a great prayer for us. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. So are we available? Are we listening? But also, if you need to be motivated like I am sometimes, are you aware of the alternative to listening to the call? Let's go on. Verse number three. We'll call it the contrast to the spineless, okay? The call to backbone and the contrast to those who have none. Verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm going to do a new thing in Israel, in which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. That's not a good thing, okay? That's a fearful thing. It's like when your lips quivering in fear. In that day, I will perform against Eli all the things which I've spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an ending. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he didn't restrain them. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Again, in this chapter, we see the decline of Eli, the rise of Samuel, right? The decline of Eli, the rise of Samuel. Again, God's God's word is showing us what? It's showing us the seriousness of sin. It's showing us the seriousness of compromise, the seductive nature of our sinfulness, but also the ending of sinfulness. The end of sin, he's teaching us, is destruction. And we are taught this over and over and over again in Scripture, where we're shown one of the catalysts to responding to the call of conviction is to acknowledge the catastrophes that are attached to compromise. The destruction that awaits us if we choose to resist the call of God. That's what our choice is here this morning, church. It's backbone or spineless. It's conviction or it's compromise. And look at Eli. Compromise does not end well. It doesn't end well. I was taught this as a kid. It's so simple, but it's been ingrained in my mind for 30-something years. You will never win with sin. Never win. Never. And maybe you're here today and you're tempted to think, you know what, I'll feel so good or I'll succeed and everything will be great. I'll get away with it. I'll somehow find favor in the midst of it. Let me tell you, that is a lie, 100%. You will never win with sinfulness. The trajectory of sin is disaster. You look at these sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I wonder if they, while they were in the temple and they were taking all the meat for themselves, getting fat off of everybody's generosity and, 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 and sleeping with the women who were there, if they thought that moment, you know what they probably thought? We are untouchable. We're untouchable. We have all the power. We're the, my dad's the high priest. We have all the money that we could ever want. We have all the success. This is great. But a few verses from right now, they're going to drop dead because of their sin. It's intense, isn't it? Obsessively and idolatrously living for sin, living for short-term pleasure, that's about ourselves. But it doesn't have any regard for the judgment that is awaiting those choices. And sometimes we pursue these temporal desires for self-pursuit only to experience a whole lot of regret and pain. That's true throughout the Bible. I don't have time this morning because we want to get out before it's nine feet of snow outside to give us all the illustrations of it, okay? But time and time and time again, we see those choosing to serve themselves and ending in moments of regret. You will never win with sin. So Andrew, if it's that simple, why do we do it? A couple reasons. Number one, we love our sin more than Christ sometimes. Just true. We love our sinfulness. We love what we do. We love our desires more than we love Christ. And number two, sometimes we're just really dumb. 
I was trying to think of a nice way to put that. It was dumb, okay? In other words, we're not thinking about the contrast. We're not thinking about where this decision I'm making is going to end up. You ever found yourself, maybe when you're raising your kids, they go through an impulsive stage, maybe you're still in your impulsive stage, where you're not thinking about where this is going to go. You're just thinking about how it feels right now, right? You're not thinking about the end destination of a decision. You're only thinking about this exact moment, where you're not seeing the contrast between the end destination of eating straight candy all day and never you know, anything else versus eating. like You don't think about it, right? You're just living impulsively. You're living based on what you can currently have. It's amazing at how many times in the Bible, so far this, this year, that I've been confronted with the, the contrast between sin being judged, wickedness being held to account, and the blessings associated with living lives of conviction based on the word of God. The contrasts that are given to us. One of my favorites is the book of 2 Peter. I've got a couple verses there in your outline from 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read it really quick. He's here talking about those who are living with compromise, living after their sin. He says, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Look at this. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantingness. Those that were clean escape for them who live in error. Then look at verse 19. While they promise them liberty, look at this, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, understand, those that are leading you into liberty, verse 19, they themselves are the servants of corruption. They're telling you this is the path to freedom. This is the path to joy. This is the path to fulfillment. While they themselves are enslaved to those things that they are promising you freedom from. There's judgment that is coming. There's enslaving that is coming. There's bondage that is coming when we choose to reject the lives of conviction and give ourselves over to the easy path. What will you skip ahead though in First Peter, Second Peter, good chapter three, my favorite verses. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is long suffering to us who are not willing that any should uh, perish, but all should come to repentance. Sorry, I have snow brain, I guess. Um, Bad when he says one of my favorite verses and he can't quote it. Um, what is that saying? He's saying the reason that that destruction we're talking about coming, the reason it hasn't come is because the Lord is patient. And the Lord is giving us opportunities to respond in repentance. The Lord is providing opportunities for mercy and for grace. We also read, count the patience of our Lord as your salvation. We'll be thankful for his mercy and his patience. Understand this, church, Jesus came because of the judgment that is reserved for our sinfulness. He came for this reason, because of the judgment that is coming for our wicked decisions, that evil and sinfulness is a reality for us, but that Jesus came to die for every act of evil that I've ever done, for every sinful choice I've ever made. He paid for each and every one of those on a Roman cross, bearing the wrath of God in our place. Why? Because he loves us that much. He doesn't want us to face that judgment that we rightfully deserve, the separation of spiritual death. He wants to give us everlasting life and fruitful joy. And he says, I want you to receive that. How? By grace through faith. Jesus defeated death. He defeated our ultimate enemy. The Father has received his sacrifice as a righteous payment for our sins. And now if you're in Christ, we don't have to fear the judgment that is to come. We don't have to fear the judgment for the wicked decisions that we've made. Because if we are in Christ, we will never face the punishment that we rightfully deserve. 
So as much as the reality of sin and evil and judgment and wickedness is coming, also the opportunity for love and grace and mercy and hope and eternal life is available to us as well. Jesus offers you this morning forgiveness based on the choices we've made, not by what you do, but based on what he has done. So there's nothing you can do. It is 100% of his grace, mercy, his sacrifice, his forgiveness is given to those who believe. But I think it's important for us to see the contrast, okay? That's, that's the call to wisdom, right? Two paths, compromise and destruction, conviction and eternal life. You see, that sounds really clear. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for us, the Bible makes it really clear that if we want this life of fruitfulness and joy, it is attached to living these lives of compromise, or of, sorry, of contrast. Number four, number four. Confirmation, and I'll be done. Confirmation. Verse 19, we see the beginning of Samuel's new journey into this life of fruitfulness. He says that Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel and Shiloh by the word of the Lord. What is this? This is the confirmation of those of us who are called, okay? When you're called by God, sometimes we wonder, how are other people going to know that I'm called, right? Uh, how, how are they going to know that I, I'm supposed to be doing these things that God's called me to? How, how do we know that? This is a 12-year-old boy. How, do, how does he get the word out, right, that he's going to be the next prophet that's coming? He's gotten this vision from the Lord. This is what's to come. Verses 19 through 21 gives us a great description of it. I put a Six ways that he's confirmed in here, and don't be fearful, we'll go quick, okay? Six ways that Samuel is confirmed in his call. Understanding that if I choose to live a life of conviction, it will come with a cost, but it'll also come with a confirmation of God. First thing we see is confirmation through growth. How do I know? Verse number 19, Samuel grew. He's maturing. Called by God, you're going to see your spiritual life growing and progressing. Confirmation through God's presence, Samuel grew, verse 19, and the Lord was with him. By the way, the Lord is with Samuel. If the Lord's with Samuel, is there anything else he really needs? Right? Compromise quenches God's spirit. Conviction is filled with God's spirit. His presence is with us. It confirms that we've heard his call. Thirdly, confirmation through God's wisdom. I love this. Verse number 19 says, let none of his words fall to the ground. Think for a second. On an average day, how many words, one, you hear, and how many words you speak, okay? Not just verbally for the teenagers. I don't talk to anybody, but you send 14 gazillion text messages every single day, right? Uh, so how many words come out of our hands, our fingers, right? How often we communicate, and how many of them just kind of fall to the ground? Like the words were out there, and they didn't really do anything, right? I think social media is a great example of that. How many words are on Facebook? How many words are on, tw not Twitter, X, right? How many words are out there just falling to the ground? Samuel says he has this, he has this wisdom that the words that he carried, the wisdom that he held, they, they carried an effect. When he spoke, people listened. When he spoke, he had wisdom. They were faithful words. They weren't failing words. This afternoon, it's about 6 p.m., the Detroit Lions are going to win the NFC Championship. Those are faithful words. I'm speaking it into existence, right? Went to a Super Bowl in like 1948 or something like that. We're going back, baby, right? Those are faithful now, but 
Understand this, one of the confirmations that God is working in someone's life is the words that they carry, the words that they speak, begin to carry some weight. You ever had someone that was much younger than you, his words or her words begin to carry some weight, some wisdom? What is that? It's a confirmation of God's working in someone's life, right? That, that's, a, that's an affirmation, that's a confirmation. God's doing something here. A life of conviction is confirmed through the wisdom of God, the perspective of God. Their words are fruitful, we see number next, I think four, right? We see Samuel's call confirmed through authentication. Question, how did they get the word out that Samuel was going to be the next prophet? Did Samuel go out with signs? Did he have a sign saying Samuel for a prophet down with Eli, right? Did he take a campaign to social media, letting people know he's next in line? No, the Lord got that word out. He didn't have to go promote his name. Talk about how he's the next guy coming up, the ranks, how he's, he, he's so special. The Lord did it. It says, from Dan even to Beersheba, they all knew that Samuel was established. I love that word, established to be a prophet of the Lord. So many of us are tempted to try and prove ourselves to people. I got to show that this is serious. I got to show that I'm called in this way. I got to show that I have this burden from the Lord. This happens a lot of times with even young guys in ministry sometimes where you'll see um, uh, uh, almost an insecurity about them. They got to prove themselves, right? This is who I am. This is how I'm called. This is, well, this is the burden that I have. So many of us are tempted to prove ourselves to other people, posture ourselves amongst people, trying for recognition amongst other people. Listen, when God wants to authenticate you, he will. He will, and nothing will stop him when it's the time for that to happen. What is the, the principles of the New Testament tells? Humble yourself. And in the right time, the due time, God will exalt, right? We don't have to posture ourselves. Well, I'm called to this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm going to put out the posters everywhere about what we're doing. God will do that. God will authenticate. How does that go on? We see confirmation also through renewal. I love this. Verse 21, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. God had been gone for a long time. Samuel showed up. Here's the word of the Lord. Verse 21, the Lord starts showing up again and again and again. What's that? That's renewal. The Lord appeared again in Shiloh. And by the way, when renewal continues to happen, renewal, 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 God showing up again and again and again and again, what happens? That grows through revival, right? There's an impact happening here. That's a great prayer for each of us this week. God, would you show up again and show up again and show up again and show up again and renew us and change us and revive us? Lastly, verse 21, we see he's confirmed through revelation. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. What is that? Look at the difference between verse 1 and verse 21. The word of the Lord was rare. There was no open vision. Verse 21, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh to Samuel, revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by what? By the word of the Lord. The word is no longer rare. The word is no longer precious, never seen. The Lord is moving. The Lord is calling Lord is acting, even in a world filled with compromise, the Lord will always have his remnant. He called then, and I believe this morning he continues to call now. So who's next, right? Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed.